Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. Of course, my name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague today, Nitin Gower. Morning, Nitin. Hey. Hey, Derek. Good morning to you. It's evening here. It's Memorial Day weekend, but so you should be glad I'm here because nothing stops. Neither the Memorial Day weekend celebrations should stop for, for Beyond Bitcoin. So And nothing stops Beyond Bitcoin. Exactly. Nothing stops. Um, right. Now, one and a half years, I think we are into creating Beyond Bitcoin. Now, the topic of today is, is really wrapped around Worldcoin and what follows it and data and data security. But it can't help but think of that great James Bond title with the movie, The World Is Not Enough. And it kind of creates this scene where we see Sam Altman, now an incredibly powerful man, creating a world coin. And it's a bit James Bondish in some ways because it is a massive, really a massive proposal, one that some people are very concerned about in regards to, in regards to privacy and control and others think that it's an extremely valid solution. So let's have a look at it for a moment. So the world coin is, is suggested to be an ambitious crypto venture co-founded by Sam Altman, who of course is the CEO and co-founder of OpenAI. And he's just secured $115 million US in a round C funding, which really at this time of the world is, is a pretty good amount of money to be able to secure for what is a cryptocurrency, not necessarily a smart contract driven solution or a new realm. And, and he managed to do that through the likes of blockchain capital and bank capital and, and, and yeah. some of the larger groups that, you know, are really saying that this is a worthy program, possibly greatly supported by Sam Altman. It's in its beta phase. And at the moment, it's got some 2 million registered users. And the program kind of promises this new paradigm in identity verification that balances personal privacy and the need to affirm hum human authenticity in this digital environment. We always referred to something similar as, as you know, zero knowledge proof. Determining that first blockchain is the first genesis being the person, in fact, being the genesis in that chain in this particular case. And so it's, it's often sort of argued that this was going to be something that was was not necessarily for humanity and it was a controlled environment but spencer bogard who's with blockchain capital said that he did a very thorough review of it and decided it was misunderstood as this malevolent blockchain that controlled everybody and he saw this was an enormously strong opportunity to preserve privacy as a as a prim primitive to this whole whole basis the basic concept of it preserve your privacy and then start to be able to 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 transact on it what's interesting about the world coin right now amongst this 
this realm of choke point 2.0 where America's feels so threatened that its reserve currency may be undermined by global tokens is out comes the world token, the world coin right in the middle of this. And it's something that, that either is going to threaten this environment or is something that will provide true democratized asset access on a global basis without siloed tokens. It's a big ask. It's not perfect. But what are your thoughts about it, Nitin? Yeah, first of all, I don't think the world is ready for another Sam in this industry yet. We just went through one Sam and now we are facing another and, and the analogy with the world is not, you know, not enough. And I think there was another Bond movie and I'm actually a Bond, huge fan of Bond movies, though I think the recent Bond movies have not kept up with the technical advances in the world. This They're very, very simplistic than the previous Bond movies. They had more tech, they had more gadgetry in them. But if you look at Tomorrow Never Dies, I think I, I equate to that sort of uh, version of Bond where information was power and you had this media moguls who controlled the world because they were able to control. Mm-hmm. And and I follow a lot of the element of Noam Chomsky school of thought back in the day where talked about manufactured consent that media suddenly can change our minds, which is what we've seen with mission, you know, misinformation, disinformation. And I'll also say this, that Spencer Burkhardt, I'm happy to have a chat with him at some point that he neither understands, I would say, took time to understand tokenomic system because I spent some time on Volcoin. And so there's a little premise to this. There was a, the foundation of Volcoin came up again, it was meant to be a, a, a Herculean task of a ambitious goal of having an egalitarian approach to world with universal basic income. The idea is that mm-hmm. your identity, you can use your identity to make enough money for just being who you are. And the idea, which, which we've explored, which I have explored with identity on blockchain and then tying to your healthcare records, Mm. And everything that we generate as data, can I monetize that data simply by being who I am? And that would generate use of, you know, your UBI or universal basic income. And it's opportune at the moment, because if you look at the growth of chat GPT, and, and this goes back to some of the technical underpinnings behind Volcoin, Derek. So just bear with me on this one. That if you look at blockchain, there's an enormous amount of data that gets generated. Every block is transactional data. And when we begin to add our identity, it's not only generating this enormous amount of data, which again is the fuel to AI and machine learning type mm. technologies. And But the data in blockchain is naturally linked because a block is a chain of all the blocks and each block has data. So data is neatly organized and it's linked. And suddenly now AI and machine learning becomes a lot more simpler because the organization of data is no longer a challenge because you're able to you know, it's, it has a natural linkages between every transaction that you do. So if I'm transferring something to me and to you, Derek, and you're then using somebody else's healthcare data, there's a linkages between three of us simply because of the way blockchain handles the data inside of its sort of, you know, the, the chain of blocks that, that, you know, that represents transaction system. So from that perspective, whatever has happened with ChatGPT and the massive success of large language models, which is what ChatGPT is, I think it's 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 the next evolutionary element to say suddenly now I can apply the same technology to be able to reach a new level of identifying humans and collecting more and more data because then that fuels this entire AI ecosystem and where do you get the data with with the world and the globe going towards a massive data privacy issues again GDPR in in Europe the US is little behind and India and Ethiopia every country is trying to protect the data because it protects the citizens it protects the harmful use of data, which is, you know, which sort of disincentivizes privacy harms, 
the data mm. can do simply by manipulating. And this goes back to, again, tomorrow never dies thesis to say, how do we protect humans and citizens by ensuring they have control on their data? And WorldCoin essentially was the initial step of having this agent-based orbs who will have this orbs where you would actually go and generate the initial token of yours, which is identity token of sorts. And at that point, the idea was then you can certainly choose to put your healthcare records, put your credit history, everything that I do to live, whether I'm going for a healthcare record or participating in financial systems, you need all that needs data. And based on my reconnaissance, I'm able to get credit, I'm able to do all these different things. Now, just imagine the misuse of without a proper governance structure. And this is why I say expensive or should spend some more time on tokenomics because tokenomics, and we will spend more time at some point in devising what tokenomics is in, on this show, Derek, that tokenomics is not only a model that allows you to have a business sense of what blockchains are and what projects are running on these blockchains, but it's also a security system. So ill-defined, ill-devised tokenomic system can really harm projects as we have seen in many various DeFi projects that a bad tokenomics leads to somebody understanding the system and taking advantage of the system that I don't think WorldCoin has figured that out yet. And I'm happy to challenge anyone on this to say you have an Ethereum-based meme coin with no apparent model behind it. And suddenly you want to exchange that and give it a fiat status to exchange for food and shelter or the long, on the long, you know, on the long Let run. Let me just stop you there. And that is Nitin. faulty. You say it's an Ethereum-based meme coin. That's, that's, they're pretty solid statements. <laughs> it is. It is a meme coin today. I don't think they have a tokenomic system, just like Doge doesn't have a tokenomic system. Doge is a meme coin too, right? And mm. it's Ethereum-based, which tells me that you're relying on the world's identity to sit on Ethereum. Mm. Uh, when Ethereum itself is going through its own maturity and its own changes. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that mm. there's a lot of dependency on a one layer, one chain. And second thing is there is no real governance structure in WorldCoin itself. And how do you expect for this identity token to begin to start paying? And you know, experiments have done with UBI around the world. Switzerland has done those experiments. Zoog has done those experiments to say, what happens when we give individuals just basic amount of living expenses? Does that improve human productivity? Does that, mm. Is that enough for us to get creative because we're no longer worried about basic things like rent and, and, and shelter and food? So the experiments have done. So how do you equate something like this? And, and the downside is the enormous amount of harm that we have seen with misinformation, disinformation, misuse of identity, simply because, and we've seen some of the early stages. This is, they just raised funds. They bought on a few users on, on, on their network. And I think I've, I have to verify this too, but there's been a black market, a dark market for biometrics iris data mm. in Cambodia and Kenya, which to me is like early stages. So they haven't gone through with something as important as identity. It's, it's, it's really appalling to me to see all these VCs just build upon, you know, the, the open AI success that Sam has. Yes. But that doesn't mean he's, he's going to be successful in WorldCoin either. So I'm happy to That's challenge true. that in open forum as well to say, hey, what is, what is, you raise all this money, but have you figured out some of the elements of data? And I think to me, Europe and, and, and India and Ethiopia, Ethiopia, all, all countries, they have very strong and very strict guidelines around personal data. So to me, it'll be interesting to see how these sort of, you know, collide 
in that context. I yeah. Think. So a couple of things there. I mean, you know, they could always start with an ERC20 token or, an, you know, based upon the EVM and then move that to something else because there's a lot of EVM compatible structures that you could move it across to. They could even develop their own own blockchain to, to begin with, number one. And sort of number two is that apparently China's selling the iris information so the Chinese are getting 20 bucks a throw out of it which is not bad for rocking up and having a photograph of your eye taken 20 US dollars and so yeah and that does show you that at the beginning of these things just like the beginning of real world assets it's the um, providence and origination of the asset itself in this case the human being which is where everything is founded upon and if it's not founded correctly then the future of that transaction, of course, is flawed. And, and that's going to be part of probably what will need to be regulated. It would be good to see that there'll be a basket of information and not one driven by necessarily government documents. I think the health records are really solid. One of the reasons why is because at the end of a health record um, period, the person has passed away, in which case the health record would reflect that. But if you're in a nation that has really no infrastructure, it would be good to have a set of tokenomics that would work for them. Maybe just DNA at the very beginning and, and you know, iris validation and DNA and then re reconnecting the DNA over a certain period of time to make sure that it's the same person to be able to do the transactions might be a way of totally being separate from any government documentation or organization whatsoever. Not that I, as you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a libertarian. I'm just thinking about third world countries where, where their existence may not be easily validated. Yeah, so, the thing is, like yeah. you, you mentioned third world, I use the word yeah, emerging economies. They start these things in countries which has the lax, the most lax data standards. And I question that. I question, why didn't you start this from Switzerland? Why didn't you start this in, you know, in Europe with very strong GDPR? regulation to say, let's do this right, right? Second thing is there's no conversation on data protection. Yeah. Yes, I have an iris scan, I have an orb, and I'm going to get initial tokens. But where is that information stored? And by hand-waving with something like zero-knowledge proof, which is completely different technology, by the way, it's not exactly privacy-preserving technology. Mm -hmm. It does provide certain level of protection, but there's no real element of, of again, and 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 if you look at the, the famous Google use, you know, Google case with European Union on right to be forgotten. Uh, everything in blockchain is permanent. So how do you invoke something like right to be forgotten? And to your point, if someone passes away, and if I want to curate that information, not make it available for its misuse, I don't think any of that has been in discussion. It's just like, hey, I'm going to collect everybody's you know iris scans and give them an identity. And suddenly now, over time, they should be able to make enough money from, and and that differs because what is enough money in Switzerland is different from what's enough money in Kenya and Cambodia, yeah. for instance. So it's a little bit of, of you know, and in, if you look at blockchain in general, or, or we've given Ethereum and, and Bitcoin as nation state status, that the value and pricing are exactly the same no matter where you're in the world. So this notion of UBI, or universal basic income, does that differ from region to region because of mm. the entry points? If a country has very strong data protection laws, are then those citizens forbidden from from access to universal basic income? So I, I, none of that has been discussed. It's just like, yeah, we raised so much money and with aspirations to. So I think this has this has all kinds of red herrings all over the map. 
and I'm appalled at actually the VC community who has not done enough due diligence. It'll it's be interesting to see how this evolves over time. I think. Yeah, whether in fact it plays out and and merges and 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 copes with these concerns, modifies you know the blockchain that it's operating off, becomes one, does round D series, et cetera, et cetera, and grows, or whether it simply is another global token failure. It will be interesting to see. You and I have often discussed things like global tokens associated with baskets of currencies and baskets of commodities. There should be no reason why in this highly connected, highly traded world that you couldn't connect a token to 15 different commodities and 15 different currencies and have it instantaneously updated on a constant basis to have a global global value token by example you know and that's the old world way of looking at things but just briefly on this area of of privacy and data privacy it's interesting because i think generationally people look at it differently and you know, by example if you want to go in and get your international traveling pass you just go up to the the the, the terminal there as you're at the airport and you get your iris scanned People line up all day long. They do it instantaneously. They're getting their iris scanned and the data's owned by a group of governments. My government knows really everything about me. I mean, they know my telephone number, my address, my healthcare details, really everything. And and there's this often great concern around central bank digital currencies that they will know and control what I do. They already do. They already know exactly what I do for an income where the income's generated, how it's done, et cetera. The only stuff they don't is maybe if I pay some cash at a local store. Outside that, they know every move. I I do sort of preference all this with saying, maybe the issue with the accumulation of privacy data is, is who accumulates it and who owns it, because we're naive to think it's not already known and it's not already totally available to the government, our relevant governments wherever we live in the different countries of the world. This world coin is interesting in the fact that will it accumulate this kind of data? Well, I guess it will because it'll see the transactions that are occurring all around the world. Will it connect to DNA and to, to you know, human beings? Well, that's what they're hoping they're saying. And how connected is it to artificial intelligence? In other words, the other side of Sam Altman's empire. That starts right. making me concerned. Yeah, and uh, there are two issues. There are actually multiple issues here, Derek. One is the data itself. You're collecting all this data what is the the utility and use of the data if you're tokenizing it? Because at the end of the day, as we know, that you only tokenize things of value. Blockchain yes. is essentially a value transfer system. So it is of value. Second thing is currency. Are you creating a currency? Are you giving the ability? This is CBDC context too. And last time we talked about this in terms of Bitcoin, that the, the element of freedom of speech as a basic human right is access to Currency is also a basic human right, is ability for us to be able to have. And CBDC's biggest challenge, and this has become a highly politically charged agenda in the, in the, in the U.S. as we go into our, our elections, that most of them are saying that, hey, CBDC, because of program, you know, all the things that we, we take pride in programmability elements of currencies, mm. is that because you can program these currencies, because you can provide visibility and guidelines that are unaware of views, you necessarily don't have the avenues to excise the freedom that you do with your speech and having access to cash to go and spend the money where you want to be because mm-hmm. that could be revoked any given time. So it's really become a hard, hard issue. And in case of WorldCoin, I begin to now look into various sort of red herrings. One is the money itself, like who has control on this? And 
can you really spend this money? And if you're able to spend this money into the payment systems around the world, which is controlled by central banks and indirectly and, and, and central systems, do they have the ability to pause it, stop it? Because for whatever reason, whether it's, it's misuse or misgoverned decisions mm. that, that governments make on individuals, that will prevent your identity to be used for any of the purposes. It gives them a central choke point. And so I, I see a lot of challenges with just the utility of data, use, using misusing your identity itself yeah. for, for various elements. And then, of course, access to cash. And I just think that they should really think through this, you know, and not to suddenly empower various, you know, governments who are already in this mode to control lives. And we've seen that in Canada, out of all places during pandemic, of course, I've seen the truck, the truckers strike and many of their accounts were, were frozen. Mm-hmm. And that was at that point was just viewed as like, why would the governments do that to their own people? when mm. the right to protest is very much part of the d- democratic system that we live in, that our ability to say, we're going to protest this because we feel this, there's some level of injustice done to us. And there are avenues to do that you know, in the rightful way. So all these actually came up even in the Bitcoin conference two weeks back. So I'll pause here, Derek, to see if, uh, to me, it's ill-conceived and they should spend pause it and sp- spend some time thinking, thinking about this before more iris scans are stolen or resold from, <laughs> from the emerging economies into and that again doesn't solve anything because suddenly now you're giving away your identity and everything else that comes with it to somebody else for a small you know upfront revenue and missing out on the entire intended purpose of of worldcoin you know it seems to me in this realm of of cryptocurrencies smart contract driven utility tokens security tokens real world security tokens non-fungible tokens and tickets and access to everything Every single one of those things is a fascinating sector, but to me, it all comes down to zero knowledge proof. That seems to be like the genesis block in a blockchain. If you can have zero knowledge proof that truly validates you and who you are and control that, and it's yours, and it's independent of any third party or government organization, then transacting on currencies, buying real world assets or digital assets, investing utility tokens, et cetera, et cetera, becomes the world that you can operate in with confidence and with, with capability. So, so one thing on that, Derek, zero knowledge is relatively new technology and all that all zero knowledge does is that I'm able, able to prove things to you without you knowing a few, this is zero knowledge. I don't have any knowledge, yes. but you have the proof and you basically use blockchain which gives the context of that proof. Because of the opacity of that calculation or the mathematics behind this, zero-knowledge proofs today are not exactly smart contract friendly. All you're doing is taking a proof of something and putting them on blockchain at a technical level. So there are, for you to get into the realm of true utility of smart contracts and programmability, ZKPs or zero-knowledge proofs are, it's a family of, of, of knowledge proofs essentially that, that make up the landscape of zero knowledge proof as, as it you know as it is today, but they don't they're not exactly friendly to smart contracts. So smart contracts cannot process zero knowledge proofs. All they can do is write them to a blockchain. Blockchain can verify to say, hey, this proof happened at a certain point in time, and I can validate that. And it's because it's immutable. It's written in blockchain, and subsequent change in that proof again is written to. So all blockchain provides immutability and and context to that proof. So it's more of a scalability solution, Derek, but. Yes, it is privacy preserving to a certain extent, 
but that's all it can do. So it's mm. not all empowering because the entire smart contracts, which is the foundational construct of this programmability that we talk about in this context and, and, and all the DeFi protocols and all these protocols are built upon the smart contract. It needs visibility of data and blockchain essentially is a vehicle for transparent movement of this information, which is what gives it the power of trust. ZKP, on the other hand, is a little, you know, provides a little curveball, if I can use that term. And all that's used today is a scalability solution to say, hey, all this happened. Here's a proof. Blockchain has no clue what it is. It'll store the proof. And it's up to these machines that will then take that proof and go and validate it somewhere else. And that's the context if I want to, if, if that makes mm. sense, Derek. So it's not exactly, it doesn't solve all the problems. It solves a specific problem. But I think that in context of this conversation, I think it can be one of the enabling technologies, but it, it's not be all yes. end all because WorldCon will, will not be able to function without the various elements of smart contracts to 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 do a bunch of things that it's it's So then it'd be fair to, to say that the validation of providence of the legal entity, which is a human being, or a corporation, or by the way, possibly in the future, a DAO, but nonetheless, the validation of providence of who they are is the beginning of the existence of their ability to transact. And it all comes down to that foundation solution, which we haven't quite resolved yet in how yeah, to do exactly. it. Exactly. And there mm. are other issues, like you, you bring up a great point, Derek, that in, and I'm assuming the same thing in Australia as well, the legal entities are also considered, which is a foundational element of campaign finance and everything else that's tied mm. to it, that even mm. companies are considered as, you know, has the same right as individuals. So you could have an LLC, you could have an S-Corp. Yes. They have identifiers. And, and so, but you can't have an LLC because it's, 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 it's nothing but a corporation. It's on paper entities. I don't know how they part would participate in WorldCoin unless... <laughs> unless they would steal the iris from somebody in Cambodia who may not be as, as relevant a human being, but the corporation <laughs> would think that way. So, you know, you have all these perks that suddenly you're entering a transaction system, like identity today, whether I'm an individual that has driver's license or passport, and if you're a corporation, you have your tax ID number or you have some registration number that identifies you and you're able to transact, open a bank account, do all these interesting things with it. That to me is not thought through is how do DAOs and smart contracts which, by the way, are also registered entities on blockchains. Yes. They have an address and they have entities. How do they become a part of this whole ecosystem? And if there's a backdoor for these entities to participate in WorldCoin, then that backdoor can be exploited by many other interested parties who could then use smart contracts to deal with these things. So it's a little bit, again, it's all over the map in my, from my you know, vantage point. And the intriguing thing, of course, is that in a, in a period of time, we are looking at defining money. And we're looking at defining it within the realm that we understand it to be. And, you know, I, I wrote a little note again on LinkedIn this week from our friend, Michael Casey, discussing the concept of money and what would artificial intelligence money be? So if you were trading from one AI to another AI, would they want to use US dollars or would they certainly wouldn't want to use a bank? There's no logic in that at all because the transactions would be at high speed and, 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 However, they may not transact money at all. They may go back to a barter system that simply says, I am an artificial intelligence that owns an enormous amount of data storage or a huge amount of computational capability, and I will swap my AI 
for your tasks at hand, give you data storage or give you computational power, or I have physicality in the form of robots that can do certain jobs. And all of a sudden, the AI might be creating its own currency between each other. And that currency might not be the way we look at currencies to be. I think one thing that's probably likely is that those currencies will still be transacted on a blockchain of some sort. What do you think? Yeah, no, no, I've dealt with this before directly in, in the IoT context. So I used to work in yes. designing payment systems. This is back in the day with 20. I'm dating myself now. This is before I got into Bitcoin and blockchain subsequently was looking into IoT devices. So, you know, you have all these trucking companies who are so working on a payment system that two IoT devices should be able to communicate and pay yes. through each, through the through the sensors for the transaction or for movement of, so for example, if a truck is exiting a certain checkpoint it needs to pay taxes can the truck itself pay taxes because and there have been many experiments including your key fobs and cars themselves tied to payment system that i'm taking a car i'm filling my gas and i just leave because the car itself has made the payments per se a few elements of that derek is first of all if you're pure looking at ai world and again i've spent a chunk of time in understanding what that would look like and i i still think mm. at some point we should discuss interoperability in this case, because that's to me a true metaversical agenda in this context is one, if you're truly AI, then why do you need the money for? Because money is really for us to be able to have access to buying and selling things. And, and maybe AI gives you access to be able to have access and pay for the data that you want to consume. And it's one way for them to deal with these things. So there's a, there's a little bit of inanimate, complex conversation of why would AI need money? And, and maybe just like smart contracts need to have a, have a, have a treasury pool they need to have a treasury because they need to pay for things too. Second thing is who has access and rights to the earnings of the AI. And this goes back to some of the things we've been talking about in context of portal, the fetch AI and GRT, the graph tokens is essentially harnessing the power of ability for people like smart people who are in the ecosystem to curate data, to be able to create models and monetize those models because that's intellectual capital, which means that they are creating these models if the model is used and has utility to it, they get paid and that essentially goes into a wallet of the creator and creator has access to those wallets. And that actually accelerates a true sense of global race to find the best model that can be utilized. And I think that yeah. would be a great thing if, and it could actually backfire too, if you don't control and manage it. But I look at this as a transaction system. And if AIs are coming on these transaction systems, then the question then becomes is, is there an avenue, both in context of something like WorldCoin or also is a smart contract on Ethereum that they have to pay for things because they interact and they have to pay for gas fees because those are intrinsic to transaction systems. Mm. I think it gets super interesting at the point that suddenly now it's the bots who are running the world. And, and, and my only question is what happens when things go wrong? both in terms of liquidity, in terms of treasury, what happens if an AI bot goes bankrupt? And to me, it doesn't, we still have to figure that out. And that's why I think in context of WorldCoin, the tokenomic systems are, is such an important part of this. Yes. And it's not just a, a economic model. To me, tokenomics is a security system too. It's an economic security system for every single project. And it's even higher for projects like WorldCoin, I think. Mm. So on another topic, over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of discussion about Ledger's attempt to be able to resolve this <laughs> keyword phrase. Now, I've got to say, I use Ledger as my cold storage system. Still? And 
still. Still? Okay. Still. Just kidding. Of course. And and I've got my I've got my solid metal block that is capable of 1100 degrees Celsius temperature. If the house burns down, I can dig through the house and pull out my block and there's my keyword phrase and, and, you know, and third party locations for the keyword phrase, et cetera, et cetera. It is complex. Um, it's, it's, it's concerning because of the assets associated with the block of metal and the ledger item and the keyword phrase. Yes, it's, it's my asset because it's my keyword phrase, but on the other hand, I even went to look at try and put it into a vault and store it in a in a in a vault and and ultimately that just didn't make sense and and I couldn't find a vault so what I've done is I've taken it out of my house and I've put it into a third party location um, oh and stored God, yeah. it there so all of this fuss related to this keyword phrase um, and Ledger says we're going to resolve that by by having a third party structure to be able to manage it and then all of a sudden everyone feels ledger's been sort of lost its course and has, and it's lost its, its true security tell me the flip side of that Nitin. yeah I, I, so this uh, this is all over bitcoin conference so i actually met pascal who is the ceo of ledger a little bit of history in this right the premise and thesis of bitcoin early days was and i i'm, I'm not completely against centralized exchanges centralized entities because they make a life a lot easier for a lot of non-technical people and I think there are a few things that people get confused. There is probably the entire cryptography or the entire crypto industry is reliant, reliant today on some of the basic cons, you know, foundational constructs of public private key models. So public key is your wallet, which is known to all and private key. And that's used in cryptography. This is used in a browser technology. So that way only you have the right to encrypt the data that's meant for you by holding the private key and you're, you can you can encrypt the data with public key, which is your Signature and the same concept applies to 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 your crypto assets as well. And the idea that so there are ways to protect the private key that somebody steals a private key, not your key, not your asset, as the as the common moniker goes. So then you have created this something called seed phrase, which basically is a avenue to say um, to unlock this key. I'm mm. going to protect this with the wrapper, and you have a seed phrase. And or you have something called MPC, which is multi-party compute, but basically says there's no key at all. I'm going to compute every single time. I'm going to have three different people, uh, you know, bring their pieces of the key and, and create the key. So they have all these techniques, which makes this landscape enormously complicated. Mm-hmm. But pieces of hardware wallet, like you, like you suggested, that you have a hardware wallet that has that keeps a private key and you have a seed phrase that protects it, that for you to be able to transact and sign for transactions, you use those 12 to 24 sort of seed phrases that you need to be able to un, uh, you know, unwrap that and use those private keys to sign your transaction so you can buy and sell and, and, and move your Bitcoins. So when Ledger comes in and says, which by the way, a massive uproar, a lot of conversation in, in the field to say, hey, they want to now have a model that says, hey, if you can't protect your key, we'll give you an option to sort of you know, save your keys in our systems. And we will have three parties, which will, so no, no one entity will have collusion and which means that your ability to do it. And second thing is what happened with Ledger is every, every, every hardware device is a firmware. Firmware is the glue between software and what actually happens on the actual device, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thin piece of software that converts this sort of a high level programming languages to what they call as assembly, which is the lower level programming languages. So it can write the bits and bytes to the device per se. And I'm oversimplifying it at the moment. And the thing is that no one has verified because it's not open source code what is on that ledger. 
So every time you do an update of the ledger, there is a risk that the update may go wrong, or there's a risk that update may actually have malicious code that can extract the key. So this whole element of what they call a secure element to say, not your key, not your asset, and no one has verified the firmware on this on these hardware devices. Mm-hmm. And the entire premise of owning the hardware devices was for you to be able to, for you to be able to have access to your keys and keep them safe, and no one would have access to it. But the moment you open that up to having the various custom elements of these custody with third parties, you're suddenly now allowing access by the government to be able to subpoena and to be able to sequester these entities to give up on, not to mention the identity that you need to verify that you want to be able to allow these parties to hold your keys, but also when the time is you have to identify yourself for them to be able to sign these things. So it opens up a whole new can of worms, which is against some of the ethos of Bitcoin industry per se, which means that I can have a simplified model of Coinbase or any of the centralized exchanges, which has the same level of security, but also has the same level of 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 the loophole that your funds could be seized and this goes back to our early conversation and not it's not libertarian it's just freedom of it's not just freedom yes. of speech it's freedom of access to money or to currency and that's the thinking which is which has gone the industry and it's you know up in arms with ledger and i think this past two weeks they've had a massive decline in their sales and trezor has benefited from it um so it's it's just an interesting debate but it's more it's less technical derek i think it's more philosophical and aligns with ethos of the Bitcoin industry in general to say, why did we create this in the first place? And now that you're mentioning, you can do all this with the new offering that you have. Does, is your key safe? Is your key, does your key have a firmware that has a backdoor that allows them that every time you connect to sign a transaction, uh, the potential, the potentiality of theft or having the keys moved to some server that's managed by designated entities by ledger. I think all that is in, in in you know in question. So I think they have they have paused their offering. They've debated it, and the CEOs was the CEO was Pascal Guillermo. I think was quite vocal in supporting it as a strategic move to say this will bring in more a lot more users. That was his argument, but I think they have paused that that messaging if, you know for now. So I'll stop here to see if if that. And so you had to go and check your 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 ledger wallet, Derek, to see if the firmware is still the old one. What we're also seeing is we're seeing constant evolution, not just of the industry, but of, of the participants in the industry. The early stage Bitcoin holders are going to, you know, they are an exclusive group. They're the early, early adopters in this space. And accordingly, they will want to stick to what they know and what they control and what they have expertise in. On the other hand, how are we going to bring in the late adopters? How are we going to bring in the medium adopters? How are we going to get to a point where grandmothers can use this technology? And that's what is going to evolve over a period of time. Don't have an answer to those. Maybe our future episodes will. But for now, thanks very much, Nitin. Great discussion around AI world coin. The world is not enough. And <laughs> I look forward to seeing you next week. Likewise, Eric. I know it's tail end of, of the long weekend we have here, but that's inspired me now to go and watch a James Bond flick before I go to bed. So I'll, I'll try to do that. <laughs> Good on you. Bye for now. All right. Take care. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, 
please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive and engaged. See you next week.